Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. Yes, we're a little late today. We had uh, we had a little bit of a fight with technology this morning. I have no idea why, but we got it fixed. It is Tuesday, August 23rd. God, I can't believe August is almost over already. The summer is just flying by. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. Later on today, we'll be doing an episode of The Pit. We're going to open the phone lines right now. And looks like we've got uh, the team from Pittsburgh Power here. We've got some calls coming in already. Looks like everybody's waiting for me. So I'm here. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into uh, the power hour here. Bruce, looks like you're up first. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. I'm sitting here looking at a picture. That, did you see the picture Lisa posted of you and I one of the truck shows in 2013? I didn't see that, but I did just notice something. I had a problem with the board this morning, and now I'm having a problem with your call. Uh, it's sounding okay on my end, but I'm only, I've only got half a channel on the phone for some reason. Let me check with Aaron and see how it sounds. Should I on call the back? No, it's not you. It, if it, it's on my end. I'm going to have to fix it. Um, I would have to restart my phone. Uh, you know what? I think we have to do it because the last time. Well, Aaron says it sounds okay on the stream, so we'll go with it, and uh, we may have to fix the recording or something. We'll see what happens there. I did not see the picture. Where did she post it on Facebook this morning? Yeah, she put it on Facebook. One of the comments is from Nick Carter. He said, I'm sitting here patiently waiting for the next CMC. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, after after however many years we did that, we did the first one in 07. So we did that for more than a decade, and it got big there at the end. Mm-hmm. It was taking us six months to prepare for that show. Yeah. That, that's how big it got towards the end. So when we got a break for you know a year or two, it was kind of nice, but now I miss it. I wish we had something going on. Dwayne Erke called us a couple of studs. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's he been smoking? <laughs> oh, he smokes uh, two-stroke oil from his yeah. snowmobiles. Yeah, you got to watch that. That clots is good stuff. <laughs> Smells good. Anyway, I want to talk about turbo lag. Some people complain about turbo cars, and if your turbo's too big on your semi-truck, it's get turbo lag. And yes, you can have turbo lag if you go way too large on the turbo. You kind of have to match the horsepower and the torque with the turbo and the born stroking the cubic inch. But the way you get around turbo lag, especially like in a pickup truck or a car, is you just don't gouge on the throttle. You know, when, when you're pushing on a throttle, you're not supposed to just mash it to the floor. Um, years ago in our water ski club, we had a guy, he worked for, he was an office employee for our Blue Shield Blue Cross. And he would just, 
had his wife nail the throttle on the 351 Ford in the ski boat. He had a Mastercraft, and it would bog, and he would complain about it. And his name was Bob. And I said, Bob, that's not how you do it. You feed into the throttle. When you open the carburetor, the throttle plates, you're allowing all the vacuum to escape. There's none to suck the gasoline in. Consequently, you're getting the bog. And he just couldn't understand that, but he wasn't a mechanical person. So, uh, well, actually, uh, so you know what I'm talking about because you had the same boat. I had the exact same you know, boat. Yeah, I told right. you about the uh, when you when when Mastercraft bought out that brought out that 21 footer with the bow rider, so it opened it up, gave you a lot more seating. That was always the problem on the ski boat. You just couldn't get anybody on there. So, you know, there were times we wanted to have more people out there with us. We bought that 21 foot bow rider and it came with a 455. And I really didn't want that. There was a whole long story. I bought this at a boat show and then the dealer turned out to not be a dealer and he took my deposit and I ended up calling the factory and they were trying to figure it out because I I had a killer deal on this boat because the guy wasn't going to sell it to me, obviously. So the factory said, look, we'll, uh, we'll try to work with you and, you know, we feel bad about this. And they had their factory boats that the executives used right down there on the lake where the factory is. And they said, we've got a couple of those if you want to pick from one. And I, they had one that I wanted, but it had that 455. And I talked to a local dealer and he said, look, I've been looking for one of those engines. He wanted to put the 455 in the little ski boat for a barefoot boat. So he said, mm-hmm. if you get that from the factory at that price, he said, I'll swap engines from you straight up. No cost, no nothing. All right, you can have it. Man, did that thing scream in that little boat. Once he did all the work, he we went and took his out, too. That thing was crazy. Yeah, the only problem with the big blocks in the ski boats for skiing is the weight was bigger. Yep, too much weight. And, and your fuel bill was a lot bigger, too. Yeah. So, but back to driving a car with a turbo a gasoline engine. Now they're pretty responsive, but uh, you just you just ease into the throttle and you should do the same thing on a semi truck. You know, it's not how fast you go from zero to 60 or 65. It's how well you can stay there. And the way to beat turbo lag is to just feed into the throttle, not jump on the throttle. And that's also the way to eliminate the uh, pop of black smoke between ships if your ECM is set up to be responsive. You know, people say, well, I have smoke now. I say, well, do you have smoke at 25 or 30 pound of boost pulling a hill? No, just when I shift gears. Well, when you tell me that, that means you're not looking at your boost gauge and you have to train your foot to actually train your brain to only push the foot hard enough to get it to eight pounds of boost. Because at eight pounds of boost is when you clear up the black smoke and make it clear. Once you get the eight pound of boost, then you can get after the throttle. But you have to be patient until you get to eight pounds of boost. And after you look at the boost gauge for a couple of days and practice that, then it just becomes second nature. And the other thing is, if you're hard on the throttle and you're wide open and you just lift your foot, that's very, very hard on the turbocharger, and that's what wants to take the turbine wheel off the turbine shaft because it's friction welded at that point. 
the turbine wheels made out of stylite so it can run cherry red and it won't deform. But the shaft is made out of a hardened steel and they friction weld them together. Friction weld means the turbine wheel is spun on a big flywheel and the shaft is in a lathe and it's ground into the stylite wheel until it welds itself in there. Hmm. So you do have that connection, and you can break that by constantly just lifting your foot. You know, a four-wheeler, you're pulling a mountain, a four-wheeler comes over you. First habit is to just pick your foot completely off the throttle. Try to train yourself to lift your foot, but not just completely pull it off. Tape an egg to the bottom of your shoe. Yep. It's driving with the egg That's between right. your foot and the throttle. Nice and, and it easy. Makes the turbochargers live a whole lot longer. Nice and easy. Yeah, that's for sure. What else you got? So that's what I have. All right. So that's it. I, I was uh, no, I was reading. Still, I, still oh, lots of gear ratio. <laughs> Every day, still lots of gear ratio questions. <laughs> I think maybe we should start selling gears. <laughs> I know. You know. You know what's funny is we've been talking about this for decades, and now it's it's more complicated now. We used to have a pretty, you know, kind of almost one size fits all because most of the pre-emission engines were fairly comfortable in about the same RPM range. We might run the cats down a little Mm -hmm. bit lower, the Detroit's up a little bit higher, but for the most part, we could kind of cover it. Now, boy, we are all over the board with different specs. I had a call yesterday on an MX, a Packard product. The highest gear ratio they would go for them was the 308. Mm-hmm. Packard is having a problem with that. The Packard engineers do not understand driving in direct, and I don't know why they don't. Apparently, they're not listening to our radio show. Did yeah. I ever tell you the very first vehicle that I just I was driving and I discovered we need to be in direct more than in overdrive? Did I ever tell you what that was? No, I don't remember that. In 1983, around 1983, we bought a little Chevy Love pickup, a four-cylinder Isuzu, normally aspirated. I remember that one, yeah. And we put a pyrometer in it, and it was a five-speed manual. And going down Route 28 and climbing up over RIDC Park, it was a nice long pole. The pyrometer would sit at 1,500 plus degrees. Wow. And the reason it didn't take the aluminum pistons out because there's not a lot of pressure inside because there's no turbo putting boost in. Okay. But I noticed that if I took it out of fifth gear at 1,500 and put it in fourth gear, I'd drop down to 12, 1250. The RPM would come up slightly, and my speed would stay about the same, but I had a whole lot more throttle response. And a lot less heat. And then that, and a lot less heat, 250 degrees less. Yeah. And the, we were in the process of rebuilding a 475 twin turbo and a 359 Pete. And the guy lived on Martha's Vineyard, but he kept the truck somewhere over around Boston. And and I said to him, I don't know if it had 390s or 411s, but that, back then that's what was common, you know, yeah. with the 24-5 tall rubber. Yep. And I said, why don't we retire this and, and build this truck so you run in direct gear? 
and he was really concerned, and I, yeah, I, I was bet. concerned. And, yeah, and I did and because this was the very first one, and and this was in the the mid eighties, and maybe eighty six or eighty seven, or maybe late eighties, and because I think the truck was in eighty five or eighty six. So anyway. I did my calculations and with the tire size and to be at the 1650, 1700 on the level at 70 mile an hour, 308 was our gear. And this was a single over 13 speed. That's all we had at the time. And, uh, there were no cell phones. And he called me a day after he picked the truck up after running his first load. He said, oh, my God, I can't believe the difference in this truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that was, that was the start of running in direct. And instead and of just a fluke that we had. Yeah. Instead of uh, going in, in that direction, the industry going in that direction with that single over 13 speed, which I thought was a great transmission. They went the opposite. They went to all double overs and, and, you know, lower gear ratios. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you and I have been talking about that for a long, long time. Think about all yeah. the fuel that's been wasted in the industry all these years because the industry just never really focused on fuel economy at all. Right. The, uh, the engineers that design a lot of things don't get to drive them. Just like the world transmission in the motorhomes. Uh, the earlier motorhomes, when the B engine appeared, they had a... That four-speed Allison, I'm trying to remember, was that, that was back in the mid-90s. Was that direct? Oh, I don't know. over. And then they decided they had like a 343 gear. Then they decided to go to 411 or 456 gear, make the world transmission, and make fifth and sixth gear overdrive. Yeah. So it's a, it's a drastic overdrive when you're in sixth gear. And uh, I think it's like a 40% overdrive. And that was the wrong way to go. What? They should have they should have made it a single over, and instead of 340 gears, it went down to like a 308. Yeah, well, it's you know we're we're talking about engines that were low on horsepower and low on torque, and, and when you go into overdrive, that's a torque reduction. Right. And these are eight point three mechanical Cummins, yeah. three hundred horsepower. They made fifteen pounds of boost, and people were putting huge trailers with yeah. cars behind them and motorcycles and everything else. And then complaining of the power, and we would give them an extra 100 to 125. We'd take them from 300 to 400 and four and a quarter. And uh, and it really helped, but you had to watch that pyrometer sometimes. Well, my my first RV, the old Partridge family bus, the one we bought from uh, David Counts, just to get started. We knew we weren't going to keep it. I just wanted something cheap and fairly reliable. And it had that small Cummins in it and 473 gears. I mean, that was a 40-foot RV. It was a big RV for that little engine, yeah. and that's how they tried to make up for it was just really low gears. Mm-hmm. That's right, 473. Yeah. Okay. 
So my, uh, I had a, a little bit of a topic I wanted to talk to you about this morning. It kind of fits into this. You know, we, we've been talking about efficiency for a long time. You're going back to the eighties. You were looking at direct gears before I had even bought my first truck yet. And we talk about efficiency all the time. We have been for decades and the industry just does not focus on it at all. They never really have, do you know, the average now, we have guys who are now recording, not on 30-day averages, but on, on certain runs and certain tanks. We have guys recording over 11 now. That's not out of the question. Mm-hmm. And th- those are real numbers. And 30-day averages, we know 10 is common for some of these guys now. That's a huge improvement over the years because we focused on it. The industry average is still 6.6. Isn't that awful? We were getting... We were, yeah beating that 25 years ago but that's the number still yeah and you think about how much fuel we waste. yeah if you're loaded and you're leaving on a sunday and let's say you're going to leave at four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon and you've got to go five or six hundred miles leave one hour early and just try 55 58 just try it and look at the two mileage for that one trip. I know you can't you can't do that all the time, and I don't drive right. that slow. So no, and and we, we if, if, if go ahead if I'm early to get somewhere, and I try to always leave everywhere to go at least fifteen minutes early, and I just ease along whether I'm in the pickup on the snowmobile trailer or I'm in the car. It's kind of amazing. I still get there and I'm a whole <laughs> lot more relaxed. We are, we are getting ready to kind of start testing something. So we know the fuel savings by going slower. We we're starting to put together some number on maintenance savings by going slower. And that number is bigger than we thought it was. And now we're also, because I've been working on the stress protocol, because stress is a big problem for people and we can measure it now in real time on the watch. We're starting to work with drivers to see what the effect of speed is on stress and it's pretty obvious as soon as you start going faster the stress level goes up yeah the one thing we have noticed i kind of you know i got i have to admit though i like it whenever i see a semi truck out ahead of me and I'm running along at 75 and 80, and I don't have to pass them. Kind of like that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as long as they're paying the fuel bill, I kind of like that too. Stay up there all you want. Uh, yeah. So we're we're gonna. The one thing we have they, noticed. They, they if they you, make a great front door, Kevin. That's they right. Make a great front door. You know? That's right. If uh, okay. if you take a driver who's been driving fast for a long time, and then you get him to drive slow, his stress level goes up initially. Because he gets frustrated going slow. You got to get him over that habit of, you know, being mm-hmm. in a hurry and being frustrated. And then the stress levels go way down. Uh, so we're we're going to work yeah. on that. But here's, I read an interesting if, article if you, this morning. Oh, go ahead. If you get used to the sound of the engine and transmission and the wind at lower speeds, and then you do increase it by just five miles per hour. You say, wow, I can really hear it working. Yeah, that's a good point. All those sounds go up. Mm-hmm. The wind, the tire yeah. noise, the engine noise, everything goes up. So, I, I'm, 
you know, I, I follow electric vehicles and, you know, not for the green part of it. I just think it's going to be cool to have both electric and diesel and diesel is going to be around for a long time. But what a difference in the electric vehicle world, how focused they are on efficiency. You know, we do, a lot of people don't even think about that. They think, well, why, why do you care? There's no fuel where there's no, well, of course there's fuel. The fuel is electricity and mm-hmm. electricity still has a cost. Now, Tesla's claiming when their truck comes out later this year, their cost for electricity will be two and a half times lower than the cost for diesel. Now, they're basing it on California's diesel price. So it's about the highest in the country. Two and a half times lower than California's diesel price is what they're claiming. So there's a cost, but there's another big issue here. And they the they are hyper-focused on range because that's what everybody's freaked out about. I'm going to buy this electric car. It's not going to go far enough. There aren't enough chargers. So they're so focused on range. And every time you improve efficiency somewhere, you improve range. But listen to this. When I I read this, I'm like, we never hyper-focused like this on efficiency. So have you seen that electric car called the Lucid? No. You got to go look for that thing. They And look for the Lucid Air Dream Edition. This car is stunning. Big four-door sedan, um, kind of going right after the big Tesla Model S. Beautiful car. They are claiming a 520-mile range on that car. That's pretty incredible. But here's what they figured out. AC one? Uh, well, you know, they never give you all the details. They don't give you the temperature yeah. range and that will affect it. They don't give you the terrain. You know, it's a whole lot easier to go 520 miles west or east across Kansas than it is to go 520 miles west from Denver. But they never give you all the details. So I assume they're giving me absolute best case scenario. This is, you know, a, a nice... 65 degree fall day you're on a level ground you know you're you're doing the speed limit whatever it might be but that's an impressive range because everybody gives you the best case so if this is their best case it's a big range but here's what they were talking about and what i mean by them being so hyper focused on this one of the options you have on this car are 21 inch wheels But if you choose those 21-inch wheels, they've calculated it, you lose 39 miles off your 520 miles. But that's how focused they are on these numbers. That's, you know, you and I have been that focused, but the trucking industry should always be that focused on fuel. And we never have been. Who Who even talks about range on a diesel truck? But why don't we? I mean, that, that, that was always an important number for me when I, I spec'd bigger fuel tanks because I didn't have to worry about weight. Weight wasn't an issue for me. If I carry uh-huh. a couple thousand pounds more fuel, no big deal. It allowed me to buy more fuel when I could get it at the cheapest price. And it just allowed me to go fuel less often, which was a, a, a that was a big plus for me. I hate getting fuel in a truck, but we never really talk about that. You take a truck with smaller fuel tanks getting five miles to the gallon and then a truck, you know, like the guys getting 10 miles to the gallon, put bigger fuel tanks on there. There's a huge difference in range. Yeah, that's true. 
They, uh, they even... I'm looking at it now, so the Air Dream Edition. Isn't that thing beautiful? It's a good car. Yeah. You know what else, speaking of electric... Who's building it? I don't know. I think it's a brand new company. No, it concerns me on brand new company. I know. fit and finish. Everything, yeah. Everything worries me about brand new companies. What if I buy the car and they're not here in two years? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful car. And it, it's, you know, they went right after Tesla's big Model S with that. But uh, the other thing that I just saw for the first time out here. Now, I saw some when I was back east, a couple of them. But out here over the weekend when Lisa and I were out on the road, I saw two Rivian pickup trucks out here. I think that's like uh, mm-hmm. six I've seen on the road now altogether. So they're out there. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard much about them. Did you read the article an electrical engineer wrote? said if you live in, in a city in a row house and three people are charging their car at the same time, you won't have enough electricity to run your air conditioner in your house? I'm not surprised. There's, a, there's still a lot of issues, and instead of allowing the free market to let this happen like it should, the government's forcing this. There's going to be a, f- and mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling this is why Tesla pushed up its time. Tesla wasn't going to put their truck out till 2023, and now they say they'll be producing that truck and selling it by the end of this year. But from what I understand, and I still have to read through the whole text of this bill, I think there's a $40,000 credit in there for an electric truck. Well, let me ask you two questions. From the time you were 16 years old and the amount of traffic on your roads till now, what percentage of more vehicles do you think there are out there? Ooh, man, it's got to be a lot. It's high. It's, it's got to be a lot, yeah. Yes, it's probably four times what there was when you were 16. Now, when was the last time we built a fire plant in this country? A what plant? A power plant. Oh, power, oh yeah, we don't. We don't build any. When was the last time? I mean, what we and yet the environmentalists want to tear down dams because they don't like, for some reason, they don't like hydroelectric. I, I, that, I thought that would be the best. They don't like wind either. No, they don't like wind. They don't like hydroelectric. And they don't like nuclear. So how are no, they going to power fine. all these electric vehicles? They don't like coal. Well, the, what they don't understand is all these people with electric vehicles are really driving coal-powered vehicles because they're getting like 80% yeah. of their electricity from coal. And they don't want you to do well fracking, which is 5,000 feet down in the ground, to get the natural gas, to burn natural gas to make electricity. So, Yeah. Yeah, well. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to move on. We are going to hear from uh, Leroy and Pete. Leroy, you're up first this week. What's on your mind? Uh, So did you see the um, release of International's new uh, powertrain? I did. I did. What do you uh, think of it? I'm fairly impressed. I think it may turn out to be one of our better engines. I like the architecture on it, what I've seen so far. I mean, it's a 12.7, so that has it going for it, right? Exactly. 
I mean, they they knew they knew what they had to meet there. Twelve seven is a classic. No, I, I I think that's going to be an interesting engine, and I hope so. I you know I was saying the other day when I talked about this uh, for a long time, International was the only truck I bought. I mean, that was the first brand that I was loyal to. You know, in the beginning, I bought whatever truck was, you know, for sale and I could afford. And then I kind of settled on International. I had a dealer down the street that I had a good relationship with. I had a sales guy that found me used trucks when I wanted them. And I owned a lot of Internationals. I liked them. They weren't, you know, flashy or fancy. They were just solid, uh, good, dependable trucks. And it'd be good to have them back. Seemed, they've been absent from the industry for about a decade or more. As far as I'm concerned, they haven't yeah, put out a truck or an engine worth buying. And it seems like the A26 never really caught on. No, no, it didn't. Um, I think they're doing a lot of interesting technology on the S13, like the uh, removal of EGR in favor of dual SDR. I mean, there's right now there's really two main ways of reducing NOx. It's either through the use of EGR or through SDR. And... I understand that getting rid of EGR, I mean, it's still there, but it's mostly just for cold start idling. And my thing is newer engines don't use that much EGR anyway. And we don't seem to have the EGR issues we had back in like 2007, 2010. So I don't know if exchanging EGR for two SDRs, because we have issues with those all the time. (laughs) I don't know if that's the best idea. Well, like, yeah, getting rid of one problem for double of another well if you remember when everybody else went to scr and def uh international went the opposite way originally they went to enhanced egr and they were bringing a ton more egr back into the engine their first version of that engine had four radiators it, I think it was yeah. three high temp and one low temp or the plumbing on that thing was a nightmare. So, you know, they tried to go the opposite way once and it didn't work. Now they're kind of doubling down in the other direction. I don't know if it's going to work. I, I mean, I do like the idea that they basically got rid of EGR and they increased the compression ratio to 23 to one. Yeah. Which I think is the highest that I know of unless there are some other newer engines that's even higher. And so they're just trying to make like the cleanest burning engine that they can and then just clean it up all in after treatment. Right. So I felt like in the past they tried to do some emissions work inside of the engine and then just picked up the rest on the way out. Yeah. Now they're trying to clean the engine to make it as fuel efficient as possible and then clean it up in the after treatment. But 23 to 1, the, the interesting part was it only runs 1800 bar of fuel pressure where like an ISX or most other things run, you know, 2,800 bar, yeah. which is like 37,000 CSI versus like, you know, 20 some thousand. That's a big difference. That's and a lot of pressure. It, it makes sense because they raise the compression ratio so high that the, any sort of fuel that you put in there is going to be extremely volatile. Yeah. And you have really short ignition delays and, you have two options. You either run lots of fuel pressure to vaporize the fuel or you can't run any timing. Or I think their direction is they're going to run more timing and just less fuel pressure, which is an interesting strategy. I've tried that and played around with a little bit on the dyno, but 
just if the engine's not a designed round that you can't really just pull that off. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can't retrofit an ISX to run that way. Cause in the article they're saying it, it was a 28% of energy or something. I can't remember the unit, but they said that they picked up quite a bit of efficiency by running the pump lower that they only had to make 1800 bar of pressure versus like 27. Right. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of give and take to that engine. So I'm really curious to see how it actually pans out when it's in a truck. I'm excited for it. I've always liked pro stars. Um, so yeah, I, it's just not like a pile of engines were in the past. Yeah. I, I, you know, it would really be nice if we get this engine and we're able to figure out how to spec it right, how to run it right. I kind of feel like we've got the Volvo platform and Mac down. We've got the Freightliner platform down. We know how to spec them and how to run them. They're efficient. We haven't really figured out the MX yet. And now we've got international. It would be really nice if we could figure those two out, make them work. And we had four true options for trucks again. And, and it would be nice. I like the direction. The other reason I like the direction international is going is because they're trying something that nobody else is trying. And that gives us more real-world data and other manufacturers' real-world data about how this thing's actually going to work. Yeah. Because if everybody does the same thing... Yeah, you never no learn. Progress. Right. You never learn. Right. So, like, Volvo is doing that whole wave piston thing and the, the downspeed. Like, this engine makes 1850... They, they, the biggest rating they have is 515 and 1850 at 900 RPM. Sounds sort of familiar if you're a Volvo guy. Right? Yep. Yeah, it's very, it's similar. So, exactly. And I think it's a 14-speed transmission with one overdrive, but I think they, I read in the article that it's optimized to run in direct drive, which, you know, we just already talked about that that's more efficient. So, yeah. It's, it, uh, I want to see one. You know, the interesting thing with direct drive now, it's not nearly as important as it used to be. In fact, we don't really spec the Volvo to run indirect. The Volvo, if you set them upright, the interesting thing is you can actually spec that truck to run in three gears. You, you can spec it yeah. at your lowest if you speed range. Truck, if, sure. if you want to run 55 to, say, 58, you can spec that for um, direct sometimes. Then we can have another gear and even a third where you can have this really big speed range where you're efficient from, like, 55 to 70 even. Uh, knowing that as you go faster, no matter how efficient you are, you're going to lose it. But you can stay more efficient in a bigger range. And they're actually kind of ignoring the direct drive. And the reason we went to direct drive was to pick up that roughly 3% loss of efficiency when you went into an overdrive, the torque reduction, the loss of torque. And the mechanics on those transmissions, we knew we were turning a bunch of shafts. We had all kinds of oil churn. The drive lines now, from what I understand, I think Volvo claims that when you go into overdrive now, it's only about 1%. So now by lowering the RPM and the piston speed in overdrive, we're able to pick up more efficiency than we lost by going into overdrive. And that never used to be the case before, no matter where you got the engine running RPM wise, you couldn't make up that 3% loss. Now we can. 
So now we are specking some trucks to run in an overdrive. Because the way that they were, that they want to run an indirect drive. I think they said they only really want to use overdrive unless you like have to. Yeah, that was kind of the way we used to think about it because we didn't want to lose that efficiency in the driveline. But now they've made these new transmissions so efficient, even in overdrive, that we don't really have to worry so much about that. There's not enough of a gain there. So it's interesting that they're taking an opposite approach. They want theirs in overdrive primarily or direct drive, I mean. And it's... uh the other interesting point that you said was about um, about when you lower engine speed, you have less friction in the engine, and that's where you can sort of pick up some efficiency through that. Right. Well, the effect too is when you raise compression ratio, you also increase internal friction. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I'm just like, they they fix one area, and then I don't know yep. if they have a special material that they use, but they make one thing better and make something else work. So. There's, I feel like there's a lot of contradictions or maybe just traditional contradictions. Maybe it's not like that anymore. I'm not sure, but I think that from the their website, they said they built it with the uh, Tratton Group, which is a subsidiary of Volkswagen. So right. there's a lot of brain power behind that new engine. So. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, I know Joel did a... Pretty deep dive into it. John's studying it. I wanted to. I think we'll talk about it more on Friday. But yeah, I would. I would love to see international back in the game again and have that as a real option. The other thing about all of this is it's just getting more and more complicated. Now we're looking at you know four proprietary designs on the market with proprietary engine designs, proprietary transmissions and differentials, and we have. Two different oil classifications now. There was something else the other day that I was reading that just got more complicated because we had more options, but I can't remember what it was. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a lot whole lot harder to keep up with this now. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, everything's its own integrated package. Like, you know, that you can't get like a transmission in one truck, you can't get in another. It's all one integrated package. Yeah, and and when you start thinking about troubleshooting and and fixing these things, you know, we've talked before about the book on troubleshooting and the skills, but you can read that book and practice those skills. The biggest part about troubleshooting is just pure experience. You know, you know, you've seen this problem so many times, you know how to go troubleshoot it and you know probably what it's going to be. But when you start dealing with all these platforms that are totally different, you're going to need that kind of experience on every one of these platforms. And it's going to be difficult, really difficult. Yeah, or you'll just have to specialize in one sort of. Right, which is primarily what we see in cars now. You know, you, you don't you know, take your car to a general mechanic much anymore. You take it back to the dealer because they specialize in that vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to see more of that in trucks. All right. uh, Pete. Good morning. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? So a couple of things. We're getting ready for the winter blend catalyst. Uh, Fall. All winter will be here before you know it. So we're going to get that ordered and ready. And uh, last year we sold quite a bit of it 
and end up running out. So we're going to make sure we have more of it this year than we did last year. We weren't sure how it was going to take the, uh, it was the first year we offered it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got that going on. Um, we're working with some new caps. We had some bottles leak and we found a cap that works. It's just a matter of getting them in to use them. Uh, of course, just like everything else, having, finding the right cap and bottle is, is tough. Just like, finding any other parts. We're having issues getting what we need. Yeah. Right now we're using the steel caps, which stopped the leaking, but we found a better cap with a, um, like a tamper seal on it. Right. And, uh, waiting for those. to. Yeah. Then, you know, that was up- I, people don't realize sometimes it, I was, when I was there and you guys have, you know, staff meetings and this was a big issue and it was talked about for quite a bit of time. And it sounds like you guys have worked on this forever. And people don't realize how much time you can spend on a problem like this to, just to find the right and, cap and bottle. Right. And some of it's out of our control. I mean, right. you can't order what you need. And, and that's becoming more and more of a problem. And the quality of the bottle that's made and. Yeah. yeah, there's just a lot of stuff we can't. And, you know, I just kind of assumed you know, a bottle's a bottle, and that's not the case. Well, just to and give you an example. The bottle, the, the cap, the, um, the, the steam that when they put it together. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of bottles. I, and caps. I know. And uh, just another example of this, we started working with Bulletproof years ago, and one of the products we buy from Bulletproof and have in our store is oil. It's a brain octane oil and they have been through, I'll bet at least three different bottles and probably five different caps since we've been buying that product to get it right. Because every time they had a new bottle or a new cap, there was some sort of a complaint. It dribbles, it drips, it leaks. It's, it, there's always something. And it's just amazing how many versions of the bottle and cap. I think the, the most recent works really well. So, but yeah, bottles and caps, who would have thought? Much like boxes, even with, with oh, shipping. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, we had an issue with the mufflers getting damaged. And just by chance, a, a lady coming in that worked for a box company, she's like, well, here's what's wrong. Um, <laughs> the grain's going the wrong way. You need this, you need that. Right. And we switched and 95% of the damage was reduced just by having someone know that, you know, a box isn't just a box. Packaging. Imagine like growing yeah. up to aspire to be like a doctor or <laughs> like work for NASA and you like are an expert in boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Admirable, but. You know, somebody, really somebody's like, got to do it. And good thing they do. Uh, like I said, uh, there was this little, the ends were getting damaged and, and she made this little, very simple, which is sometimes the best. A piece of cardboard folded over, like three pieces, slid over the ends of the muffler, and again, ninety-nine percent of the mufflers were no longer getting damaged because of that. That's big. And the failure rate dropped crazy yeah. on something that cost us like seventy-five cents for each end. Wow! Yeah, it's, it's an inexpensive fix that uh, easy to install. You know, if my guys just shoved it in on top of the, the muffler, and it took care of a bunch of problems. I don't think a lot of people realize what's involved in a lot of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you have to do it. <laughs> and then the last thing is, uh, and at the show in Louisville, we had the spouts that were um, 
for the catalyst, we would give a couple of miles for people to try. And we're still working on them. They work great. They just weren't holding up. And they have to get a new seal on and they had to use a new type of uh, plastic. But we're getting close to having those ready, which is going to be really convenient. Uh, you put this on, open this spout, and then be able to pour it um, an exact amount without, without wasting anything. There you go. Good. All right. What else we got? That's it for me. Well, it's uh, quite the segue here because it looks like our first caller up today wants to talk about the max mileage container. <laughs> I, you can't make this stuff up. Let's uh, so let's go to Texas. Uh, hey, Mike, jump in and join the conversation here. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. What's Let's on your mind you today? Yeah. Well, I just thought you were just, just, you know, going all around this little subject I had here. Yeah, that's <laughs> so that was right. pretty funny. Uh, so my question was, I, I know, oh, man, it might have been two years ago when you guys mentioned something about it, but I wanted to, I got a gallon of it. I wanted to split it up into two containers because I have a couple of trucks. Um, I thought somebody had said before that you can't put it in just any container or maybe it'll lead through it or something. And I can't recall what the, what it really was that you guys said about that. Uh, I knew Bruce was there and um, whoever was just talking about it. So I, I feel, feel like we got the right people to answer the question. That's for sure. Pete, I think it was you, right? <laughs> or Bruce, do you, there's a certain type of plastic, right? And the container has been fluorinated five times that keeps the plastic from leaching into the catalyst. So you can store it in a glass jar, okay. but you can't put it in another plastic. Now, okay. the five-hour energy bottles, those little two-ounce bottles, yeah. they're compatible with it. Oh, And so is, so is the Dawn one-gallon pump. And it screws right into our gallon. Ah, interesting. And two pumps is two ounces. And uh, there's a fleet out of Buffalo, New York, Carl Kellner did this for them. They save their five-ounce energy bottles. And so the driver knows that when he's buying 50 gallons, he puts in, pumps one five-hour energy bottle with the catalyst in it in the, for every 50 gallon. So that makes it a little more simple. Yeah, right. That's what we need. But we have another guy. He has seven ounce glass bottles for his fleet, and it's a fleet of I think it's seven Freightliners, and they run Buffalo, New York to San Francisco and back. And his drivers buy at the same place all the time, so he has the glass bottles ready to go, and they buy 175 gallons at a time, and they're holding in the seven ounce glass jars. Perfect. That gives me a lot of options. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Cause I, uh, yeah, we're, we, I had a couple guys, you know, and we're just doing the uh, pickups, so, but still, I think the, either the pump or mm-hmm. I have the syringes, you know, so that, that won't be a big deal. I just, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I just knew if we went off and did that, it was going to eat through it. So I was like, I can't, couldn't remember what. So that answered all my questions. I really appreciate it. But we do sell mm-hmm. uh, five ga- or a half gallon. Um, Waddles here, and if you buy a gallon, 
next time you buy a gallon, just um, order a empty half gallon. That way you can oh, okay. put it up. Same and it's bigger amount of and there, like yeah. one gallon, right? Yeah, okay. correct. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, why not just buy two half gallons and you don't have to do that? Well, it would well, be or it's cost effective to buy the one gallon, but yeah, either way it would work. Yeah, and wherever I got it in Kansas City from a from a dealer, I can't remember who they were, but they only had the one gallons. Is it Cross and Sons? It's Seward. No, 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 no that's I don't. Lincoln. Okay, Kansas City. Wouldn't that have been? Uh, T and E, probably. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. yep. Good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, Bruce. You know we have a we have an issue like that. We have to warn people about. I mentioned earlier the brain octane. We went through all these different bottles and caps, and uh, the other issue we have to warn people about that. Occasionally, somebody will try to put that into a styrofoam cup. And it will dissolve styrofoam instantly. Wow. Yeah. I got to order some of that. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. That's my secret so, weapon. I love so, that stuff. You know, uh, that oil dissolves styrofoam. So does fiberglass resin. <laughs> yeah. Powerful brain oil, Kevin. Well, it is, but you know, I got thinking about it. We, we don't think about this, but we, when we talk about fat and that's what oil is, oil's just basically pure fat. Uh, we're talking about, um, fatty acids. So these are acids. They will dissolve certain, um, other stuff and styrofoam is one of them and it's instant the cup just like disappears when i was uh about 19 years old i was already doing wrecked corvettes and somebody gave me one of those little sailfish sailboats yeah and and it was just a piece of styrofoam all the whatever the hardness they had on the outside was all gone. And oh, yeah. I said, well, I'll just make my own fiberglass shell. So I mixed up a cup of resin and uh, I'm laying it on with my paintbrush and then I'm going to put my matting over it. And as I was painting it on that styrofoam, the more I painted, the more the boat melted. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. So half of that, Half of that boat melt, melted on my garage floor, and I said, well, I guess this isn't compatible. That's not going to work. Yep, that's how you learn. That's how you learn. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. we uh, we got to get some phone calls. They're piling up on us here. Let's go to Georgia. Eric, welcome to the program. But yeah, um, the OPS, how far away from the engine can we mount that? Because I'm having an issue trying to find a location under the engine compartment that I can mount that thing. Oh, I think you can mount it pretty far away. I bet you can mount it behind the cab. I, Back years ago when we did the Harvard, we put some behind the cab. I was just um, going to say. You might want to go, go to a number eight line to feed it. That way you still have the volume, but actually the OPS doesn't require a lot of volume. So it, it doesn't. Uh, the standard yeah. lines would probably work. Yeah, you'd be fine. I, okay, that's what I was I, thinking is putting a headache rack on the back for, for extra batteries anyways. And then I'd move it to the side of the headache rack about halfway up. I, I think you it'll keep work. Keep it as low as you can, but... Uh, 
Yeah, make sure you've you've got that correct drop. You got to have a certain number of inches to drop. Um, but I, Bruce, same thing. When uh, every cab over I ever put the Harvard on, we always put it on the back of the cab. There just wasn't enough room under the under the uh, cab to get it right. in there. Mm-hmm. I've got one more thing. Uh, you had uh, I listened to the replay yesterday and, and uh, got a kick got a kick out of your little koala thing. I didn't have to ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> cerium oxide. By the way, that's cheating. The way you did that—that's cheating. You can't play the game that way. I, of course, uh, I can. I did, oxide. and I won. <laughs> <laughs> cerium oxide is uh, uh, a cheaper replacement today than windshield. Uh, of course, you know you're going to take it out any take it out anyways in order to get your refrigerator out of your out of your RV there. But uh, cerium oxide will polish the uh, the little sand chips and, and all that stuff right out of the windshield. Really? Huh. What, is, what is this stuff? Do you, do you use it it's on? It's called cerium oxide. You just uh, you put a little bit on a uh, on a like a like a foam, uh, not foam, but a uh, a felt pad on a grill, and then uh, uh, you wet the felt pad with this uh, uh, mineral on it, cerium oxide, and then you just let the drill do the work. You just polish your windshield right down. Hey, I just wonder right back to new. if it works that well on a drill, I bet it would work even better on like an orbital buffer. It might. You know, they, they tell you to use a drill. I've always used a drill. Uh, it's uh, less than a mile. Cerium oxide is less than a micron in size, so it'll take you a little while to do it. Huh. Uh, so, yeah, maybe an orbital buffer buffer might be good, but just make sure you use a felt pad, dip it in water, and then uh, put the cerium oxide on the outside of it and don't use pressure. Just kind of let it do its thing. Really? So how wow. do you know about this chemical? Uh, well, it, it's uh, it's not a chemical. It's just a, uh, just a, a dry mineral. Um, but I know about it because I've polished windshields with it to get the line. You know how uh, on a car, if you leave the car set outside for a long period of time, you'll get lines on it that you just can't clean out? You know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I do. How do you spell that, Cerium? Uh, C-I-R-I-U-M, I believe. Hmm. Okay. Where do you buy it? Uh, I, I buy it uh, on um, Amazon. Huh. Interesting. It's just a it's just a red powder. All right. Okay. That had a call coming in. So if you had, what would it do to like a plexiglass window? No, it would polish it down, but it would probably polish it down way faster. Hey, Bruce, speaking of that, so, you know, I, I started painting cars when I was about 16. Uh, I had a brother-in-law who was just a master body technician, taught me all about it. So I was pretty good. And then when I went in the military, we were um, the first unit to start flying the Cobra helicopters with night vision goggles. That was like mm-hmm. a big thing back then. And those night vision goggles back then, 
they cost like $35,000 a pair. And I know that because one of our crew chiefs stole a pair from a pilot and waited about four or five months and tried to sell them and got caught doing it, ended up in Leavenworth. Yeah, they were crazy expensive back then. And we were one of the first units to start flying Cobras with those. The problem was the windscreens, what what you think of as glass on those Cobras is all some sort of plastic, plexiglass, Lexan. I don't know exactly what they are, but they scratch really easily and they get those swirls and flying it during the day, you, you hardly notice it. Every now and then, if the sun would hit it right, you'd get those big glares, but it wasn't that big of a deal till we tried to fly those things at night with the night vision goggles. We had pilots almost puking because the reflections were were making them crazy in there um, and they were trying to figure out what to do and I came in one weekend just for the fun of it and thought what if I treat these things just like I treat paint because you know when back then we used to do a lot of lacquer so you would you know sand the paint oh, back down between coats then mm-hmm. you would spray more then you would sand it down again and then when you got done you'd wet sand it you'd buff it you'd keep going finer and finer on your compounds and then at the end you'd use like a a fill and glaze you know to get rid of all those swirl yep. marks so i came in one weekend the magic pink stuff yeah fill and glaze the pink stuff yeah um, I came in one weekend and said, I'm going to treat one of these windscreens just like I do paint. And I did the same thing. I started with like 600 grit sandpaper and wet sanded it and destroyed it. It was awful. I'm like, oh my God, I wonder what one of these things is going to cost. And then I just kept working on it and treated it like paint. I had those things looking like glass at the end. They were just crystal clear when you were done. Yeah. So same, same kind of concept. You're just getting those fine scratches out more and more till they're gone. Yeah, hmm. When you buy the kit, they come with uh, different sandpaper things, different sandpaper amounts, uh, little discs that are about two and, two and a half to three inches in size. You can get scratches out of the glass with them so like that if you buy the, the whole kit, but it doesn't yeah. come with very much cerium oxide. I just buy the cerium oxide separately. Yeah, the the downside to that story was I was the hero for solving the problem, but then I had 13 other helicopters I had to do. (laughs) It was a lot of work. No good deed goes unpunished. You guys have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks for the call. That's interesting. I'm going to look into that. Let's go to Wyoming. Patrick, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. What's on your mind today? Uh, hey, uh, well, uh, speaking of the catalyst and the problems that we're having with some of them jugs and bags and boxes, and the only thing that seems to neutralize it out of leather, anyway, I don't know what it does in cloth, but out of leather, uh, the vinegar, like a like a just a regular white vinegar, seems to neutralize uh, the smell. And it took it right out of that seat that it got that it got spilled in when that when that bottle opened on us. So did, did it open on what kind of seat? A truck seat? 
Uh, no, it was a, a seat in her uh, in her forerunner. She was actually taking two jugs out to deliver, and one of them was leaking. Mm, oh. white vinegar. So the white vinegar. Yep, and she so she took it and put it in the bucket, and then she took a rag and wiped it on the seat, and then had all the windows down and had the forerunner outside on uh, let's see, I think this was on Saturday, and. Um, uh, come back about an hour later and did it again. Now there's electronics in these seats. You know, there's a uh, heat and, and cold air that blows when you want it to on these seats. So she kind of had to be a little bit careful with that, but Heidi got it out of there by God. And, uh, and, uh, no more catalyst smell in the, in the brand new car. So that worked out really good. Hey, you know, good. that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, Vinegar is a great product for cleaning all kinds of things. Great for glass and a bunch of other things. And I I just found something I didn't know existed, but it's pretty awesome. I've always used just, you know, whatever white vinegar you've got underneath the sink or wherever you keep it. And that's like a 5% acidity. They actually make concentrated cleaning vinegars there's nothing else in them they're just vinegar so it's a really natural product but i've seen it all the way up to like 75 percent acidity and it's pretty incredible wow. i've used like 30 percent on glass and it's amazing wow well the um, the lead electrical engineer for pittsburgh plate glass is a good friend of mine and uh, we were together two weeks ago and he said he mixes one cup of vinegar one cup of water and two ounces of dawn in a spray bottle and that's what he uses for cleaning things i think you can also use that for killing weeds yeah kill the grass because i just killed some grass I don't know. It would probably kill grass. I think the recipe I've seen to use vinegar for killing weeds only, you can only put it on weeds, not like weeds in your grass. Vinegar on and Epsom salt. And if you have weeds coming up through, like um, you you have uh, river rock down or or mulch, and you spray it on a hot, sunny day, by evening, it's Everything's dead. There you go. That quick. That's what I've seen. Yep. It That's works exactly. Really vinegar right. and Epsom salt. What's the What's the mixture? Like two to one, I think, is what it is, guys. It was a cup if of Epsom remember, right? salt, a half gallon of vinegar, and like a quarter cup of Dawn. If I remember right. I have it written down at home because I use it because I have River Rock at my house. And even though I have that uh, matting down underneath, it stuff comes up through there once in a while. You know what the Dawn's in there for? I don't. Makes it cling. Clean the rock. Yep. Clings it. <laughs> yep. Hangs onto the weed that way. <laughs> to clean the rock. <laughs> so the, 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 the reason why I called was we finally got a customer of mine up in Cheyenne squared away with a tune and it took the guy over a year to kind of get things squared away with all his sensors and all the things that were wrong with this coming. And, uh, we, we brought him in, hooked him up. JR looked it over and said, well, you're, you got too many things wrong. So here's your list. Go knock yourself out. Well, from 
a camshaft to uh, 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 from a camshaft to the uh, uh, valve. And I'm, I'm, I'm missing a word here on the uh, on the turbo, the actuator on the turbo, and an air to air and a bunch of sensors. This kid did all the hard work. He finally got it squared away. We brought him in. We tuned him. Uh, he wasn't really happy with the tune, so we brought him back uh, about two weeks later. And uh, Jr. did his finished doing his magic, and he missed a couple of things. And this, these kind of things happen. And if you guys are just if you're waiting to get a tune or, or want to get a tune, and 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 you're not happy with it, all I can say is bring them back. We'll help you with the hard work uh, because we're, we're looking to make that long-term relationship, or at least I am. And and these guys are coming to us in Cheyenne and getting these higher altitude tunes, and they're coming out with at least a mile to the gallon better, and especially when they're on flat ground. And they're pull like a freight train up in the mountain. So um, just... You, I, I just keep going back to what Kevin said for years. If, if you're not willing to do the hard work, uh, then you're just kind of pissing up a rope for lack of a better term, I guess. <laughs> there you go. That's why I say it every but day it to remind this kid myself. Over a year to do this. <laughs> yeah, it, it took this kid almost a year to get this done. And, and he's, he's getting, I think he's picked up a mile to the gallon. So real happy for him about that. And uh, he's running the catalyst, and we're uh, we're going to be experimenting with some other stuff with him too. But uh, right now we're 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 tickled to death that he finally got uh, got some fuel mileage out of that coming. There you go. Good stuff. So, yep. Anyway, guys, I'll let you go. Uh, good talking to you. All right. Thanks All right, for the call. Let's right, we'll keep see. rolling here because the calls keep piling up on us. We're going to head off to Wisconsin. Dan, welcome to the program. Sorry, I didn't have my my microphone down. Well, I, I sent you an oil sample. Yes, you did. And, uh, sure. Let's take so a it's, look. Uh, 2002 International 9200 C12 to, uh, what is it, 2KS? This is a crate motor that was put in, and my question was, would you agree with their recommendation on the copper? Um, no. I don't think that that copper at 533 is wear metal break in that that's I, I don't know why they would write that about copper they should have separated out all their wear metals because they made kind of a so here's what their comments say. Most of the metals we marked as being high last time have come down. That's a true pattern when you're talking uh -huh. about a new engine. Those are break-in metals. But then they say, though copper jumped dramatically, it's possible that this is still wear-in material. It, that's true of all the other wear metals, but not copper. Because how would we even get to copper if we hadn't yeah. worn through the lead on the bearing yet? And... 
533 would not be break-in material if, uh, in copper. That's, that is an oil cooler leaching copper. It's nothing to worry about. Okay. You don't have to do anything, but that copper is not break-in material. That's, that's the oil cooler leaching. But other than that, I agree with everything, okay. and the pattern is correct. Everything's heading in the direction we want to see it go. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if they put a new oil cooler on it when they put the new motor it, in it. It, it wouldn't and matter, I, and this is never an issue. Okay. I've seen it happen with brand new okay. oil coolers. I've seen it happen with oil coolers that have a million plus miles on them. It's random. It There's no pattern to it. But the good news is it never causes a problem. Outstanding. I was hoping to keep my call short and sweet, and that's what we did. So thank you. There you go. You're welcome. Now, that that is exactly what we want to see with the wear metals. Uh, let's go to Texas. Bill, welcome to the program. Good uh, morning, there, guys. What's on your mind today? Got a follow-up on that IFX that uh, we thought made oil last week. I remember what what you gallons. found out. Yeah. Got got the oil sample back, and the guy from Pittsburgh Power called me with a concern. Uh, on the, the uh, sample for high viscosity, but no fuel dilution. What about um, uh, if you've got high viscosity? Did we? Do you have the sample in front of you? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I can pull it up. Yeah. Did anybody uh, look at uh, sodium and potassium? Yeah, so yeah, the, the viscosity the, the viscosity raise was because of the lucas that I added. Okay. Okay, that makes sense then. And that's the only thing that was uh flagged. Uh, was the viscosity like that? I told him. I said, "Well, what, what was uh, the number?" Oh, try to look right here. That angle right sample. So let's go back. This one, there it is. The reason we're looking for sodium and potassium is because that would indicate coolant. Coolant would obviously increase our levels, and coolant will raise viscosity as well. Uh, sodium was two, potassium was five. No, so something the, is still the, very, very confusing about this whole story. So the only two and, liquids uh, I'm aware of that we could get more of so that the oil level goes up is fuel and coolant. There really isn't anything else. Right. And if we don't have right. fuel and we don't have coolant, the only other answer is one of your buddies is messing with you and he put extra oil in your truck well, when you weren't I, looking. Well, 
like I say, when they done the service, they must have overfilled it. Oh, they, yeah. Because I had they, the oh, fuel actuator right. and the service at the same time. That's right. We determined that you didn't check the level right away after the service. Right. Yeah, that's right. that's that's what so, it is then. And this, this oil sample yeah. verifies it. They just put too right. much oil back in the engine. Hey, yep. Pete, Bruce, anybody, um, three gallons? Could we do some damage here with that much oil pressure and that much volume in an engine? So I think what would happen would be the, the crank throws hitting oil, which would then aerate it. And I would think that would show up as low oil pressure. Huh. Okay. I'm shocked that didn't show up. No, my, my oil pressure stayed right there about between 35 and 40. Yeah, I, it sounds like everything's going to be fine. You know, you got to figure it out. You got the only, extra oil out of there and you should be okay. The only thing I've ever seen happen, and this was on a K-Series Cummins, they had put double oil in. Whoa. So, uh, I don't, yeah, and it knocked out the front and rear crank seal. Wow. Remember that, Pete, that was on that engine for that drilling company down in Kentucky? They mm-hmm. What's it called? Uh, they drilled through the wall. High wall. High wall drilling, yeah. We built the engine, we put oil in, and then they got the engine, and they put oil in. <laughs> That's a lot of extra oil. Holy cow. Yeah, the thing probably held 15 gallons, so they wow. ended up with 30 in it. Yeah. I uh, I ran my 89 Dodge in Colorado with the Cummins in it. It was 100% over. It had a leaky seal in the injection pump. And I didn't catch it until the day I was leaving to drive back to Pennsylvania. I saw an oil film on the back window of the cap. And I pulled out the dipstick and instead of having three gallon, I had six gallon in there and three of it was fuel. And I was driving down to Salida at 95 mile an hour the day before in that truck. <laughs> so even <laughs> diluted a hundred percent. So it was 50% oil, 50% yeah. diesel fuel. It still did not hurt anything wow. in that B series Cummins. That's, That's pretty incredible. That's how bulletproof those pipelines were. And they were almost indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so, proof right there that they can handle anything. Well, Bill, I think you know, the, the problem uh, was, Kevin, I was in, go ahead, Bruce. I was in Breckenridge, Colorado in a condo and I had to find a place to get rid of six gallon oil and borrow a vehicle <laughs> to take the fuel pump off and take it into Denver. And Cummins wouldn't sell me a fuel pump because they didn't have their one for the right CPL. And I said, I don't care. I just, just need anyone. Just give I've me got something. a boost gauge and a yeah. pyrometer. I just need this engine to run. And so I took it to a fuel injection shop, and for $28, they put a seal in it and fixed my problem. There you go. There you go. Well, Bill, I, I, think, uh, I, I think the mystery is yeah, solved here, and it, it sounds like you got away okay. Yeah. Yeah. And my advice to everyone is if you have your truck service in a place you don't normally get it serviced, verify your hey, oil level. <laughs> hey, Bill. Bill, let me let me just add yeah. to that. Even if you get it serviced in a place you've had it serviced a hundred times before, still just check it. Yeah. 
Just check it. It only takes yeah. a couple seconds and anybody can make a mistake. You know, you, you have one of those yeah. times where one mechanic <laughs> is working on it. There's an emergency. He gets sick. He has to leave. Another one steps in. It, it, mistakes can happen. The other one I will tell people, yeah. if you have a fleet air filter and you're having your truck service someplace else, before you pull off that lot, make sure you got your fleet air filter back. We've had people throw those away. Yeah. Wow. And let me tell you something else you want to check after somebody else changes your oil. You want to put an oil filter wrench on, make sure the oil filter is tight, and you want to check the drain plug. We've seen them both come loose. Oil drain plug and the oil filter. Bruce, my oh, worst. I've got uh, the quick drain on my drain. Okay. My, my worst year in trucking, uh, about my third or fourth year in, uh, I, we had 11 trucks at the time and they were scattered all over the place. We had a couple on our own authority. It was me and my older brother. Um, we had some with FedEx, which was RPS at the time. Um, we had some running for a local Coke bottling plant. We had some with Aldi's, the grocery company, when they first came into Ohio way back then. We were just all, we were brokering some freight. So our trucks were scattered. We couldn't get them serviced and washed. So we actually went out and bought a, a panel van and put a wash unit in it and a oil change set up. And we started doing our own. And I hired one of my other brothers to do it. And that year, I almost went bankrupt. It was so close. I had, it, we had all cats back then too, um, internationals with cats. We had one engine that we knew we were going to have to inframe that year. So we had budgeted for that one inframe. Um, we were running most of our trucks never left Ohio. We ran all over Ohio, but we almost never left. So a base plate back then, you could buy a plate just for Ohio for 400 bucks. Uh, and fuel was 80 some cents a gallon. So that's the operation. And in within like a month, we started to do the in-frame on the one we knew we needed to do. I had one cat overheat and the driver never stopped and he wiped out that engine. And I had another one where right after the service, the drain plug came out and you didn't have any of the babysitters back then, and we wiped out another engine. Well, it was my brother that did it. You know, what am I going to do? And fuel went from 80-some cents a gallon to a buck forty. Uh, first time we had ever even heard the term fuel surcharge because it went over $1.25. Uh, what else happened that? It was just horrible. I mean, I was, I was applying for credit cards to try to pay for everything. It got so bad. A drain plug. I've gone through that, Kevin. In 92, I was using credit cards to pay the employees yeah, yeah. to keep things going during that recession. That's so. a scary feeling. All right. I would visit the bank every day and beg them not to bounce checks. Yep. It was <laughs> yeah, I remember those times well. Uh, all right. Bill, anything else we can help you with? Well, that's it for today. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Ohio. Steve, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. What's on your mind today? Good. Uh, yeah, it might be a question for Dr. Jane, but Bruce may know. 
um, <laughs> the end of last year, uh, I, I went ahead, I had made a lot of money last year. So I went ahead and bought four gallons of Catalyst right at the end of the year. <laughs> and, uh, I just got ready, uh, last weekend to open, open, to open the last one. I said, this thing's a little light. <laughs> and I, I held it up to the light and it was half full. It was full when I got it. So I had evaporation. I opened the cap, make sure I hadn't done anything. No, it still had the silver, you know, seals on the inside. So I had, to, I had a half of it evaporate. My question is, uh, I'm sure there's some filler in there, and I'm sure if anything evaporated, that's what it would be. Since it's half, all the active ingredient is in half of the uh, the gallon. Can half an ounce? For twenty-five uh, uh, gallons for that one. I don't. I don't think there's any filler in that. But I want you to call me right after the show, and I'm going to have you talk to her partner, Britt, because Jane right now is in Hawaii. Ah, okay, Sunset. okay. Well, I don't. Have, I only have her cell number. Uh, so, uh, so what? Uh, what is what is her? What is his number there? At, at where he's at? I have her cell number. Talk to her. I'll give you Britt, and you can ask Britt. Britt will be able to answer that question for you. And here's his number. He's been in the chemical business his entire life also, and he's mid-60s. Uh, I'm, I'm close here. There's so many. You know, like maybe thousand contacts. Eight five eight five eight four one four two one six six two one six six. Yeah. So uh, my my advice to everybody is, you know, buy to maybe a little bit ahead, but uh, but not maybe you know not seven or eight months ahead, uh, eight months well, ahead, because well, it, wait, wait, something wait, something's wrong uh, here because I I have some that's three years old and I haven't seen that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that, now there was no the, the bottle. The bottle was full. It was full when I got it. I mean, I know that. I mean, I always check them all. Hey. Uh, and at Kenley, I've actually yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve. I think we may have the same issue we had with the last caller. I think your buddy stole half your catalyst. Yeah, well, yeah, but the only problem is nobody has a key to my building <laughs> except <laughs> me. It's all me. Now here's the I, it, it was uh, the 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 seal was still on it. I. The, Still on it, um, and I did it the year before. I did it the year before. Also, I bought all my I bought four gallons at yeah, the I, end of the year the year before, and they all worked out. Um, but I figured it might have been a little air hole there, and there, that allowed some, some there had to evaporation. Be, there time. had to be yeah. something weird going on because, like Bruce, I have an original bottle they sent to me, and Bruce, if that was three years ago, I was just trying to figure out when it was. You sent me an original bottle, and I stuck it in the garage and forgot about it. And then when I went to use the catalyst, I just grabbed a gallon from the warehouse, and I just found that yeah. bottle, and it's completely full. I mean, there there doesn't feel like there's any I'm loss thinking, in it I'm at sorry, all. I was thinking it must be a – yeah. I was thinking it must be – there must be maybe that seal wasn't really tightened and some air was able to get whatever could evaporate out. It, now, what I have noticed, I have – Closely when I'm at Kenley, uh, to buy to buy because they're at all different levels. They, I know they start out at the top, but they're at different levels. So it may be a their seal is not 
exactly tight, and it may have a little bit of evaporation, or they, you know, and, and uh, so I always buy the ones that, <laughs> that are that are that are full at the top. But I'm gonna buy them one at a time now because I, I'm, I'm, man, I'm in I'm in Kenley every week. Uh, um, I, I mean, I fuel there every week, so uh, uh, okay. I can get it like that. I, just, I was just trying to get an extra thousand dollars. Uh, expenses last year against all that income from last year. <laughs> so, yeah, there you so I went ahead and bought at the end of the year. Call next uh, week and tell us what Britt had to say. Yeah, I will. I will do that. Okay. And, That's your uh, homework and assignment. Now, he'll know whether, right, he'll know whether or not the, uh, he'll know whether or not, like I say, the active ingredient would not have evaporated, I imagine. So he'll know whether or not it would be, you know, uh, advantageous to, to, on that one to uh, cut it in half. And see, because the ingredient is concentrated now, you know. Reason I know there's no filler, because if there was filler and we wanted to put in the winter blend, we would take out the filler and put the winter blend in, and you'd still have a mixture rate of one ounce and 25 Uh gallon. But that doesn't happen. You see, so whenever we make the winter blend, now it's two ounces to 25 gallon because half a gallon is the winter blend, so there's no filler. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I say, I, I'm going uh, going forward. I'm gonna uh, make sure I just buy. I mean, I'm mean, buy there every week. I can I can buy it. My mine last two and a half months getting over nine miles a gallon. Yeah, you know? so uh, it's not like it. <laughs> not like I'm having to buy one every month and a half like some of you guys. Uh, so, oh. uh, but okay, you know, getting a better fuel though. Okay, well, all right. Well, uh, hey, we're still testing the um, the fuel mileage additive, and I'm getting. Getting my numbers together here the next week. I'll have the numbers for August. Uh, we did two ounces. Good. For 25. Good. So, Good. We'll, yeah. we'll look so forward to hearing back. I'll, and I'll have it all posted in the Pittsburgh Power site on the uh, on, on, uh, trucking drive. So. Excellent. All right. And thanks for okay. the, uh, the, all right. the article about the Stanford goalie. I'll add it to my collection. Yeah, I tell you, I've been sending you. I think I've sent you two in the last week, and it's just like they're just popping up everywhere. Isn't that I mean, crazy? And, you know, a, a cause of death is a cause of death was not the sun. Never, <laughs> never. I love that part. Uh, you and, know, and, never, never uh, is. And, and, yeah. and come on, let's think about this. When healthy twenty-two-year-olds die, why aren't we doing autopsies so we know what killed them? Well, we need to be, we need to do, you know, with COVID, we, with trillions of dollars out there, we needed to be able to do autopsies on every person. Uh, and then you can determine whether or not it was that murder suicide that caused it instead of the COVID that they tested positive for. It, or, yeah, or the it, auto accident. That exactly. They, and they happen and, to test positive for it. And, and, the, and the same with these young athletes, especially, but all young people, we hear about the athletes, they make the news. And if this many young athletes keep making the news because they're falling over dead, how many non-famous people is it happening to? Because we're not going to see that. They're not going to put that in the news. So these numbers are, I mean, like you said, you, you sent me a couple this week. I find a couple new ones every week. Yeah, yeah. So are you? Are we Dr. talking Dr. about one in five? We talking about people that got all the COVID shots that are passing away. Yep, that's exactly yep. what we're talking about. And when we yeah. talk about young yeah. athletes, that yeah. this is a really, really common group. These people are just falling over dead with heart conditions, and they never list a cause of death, and they don't tell you whether they're vaccinated or not. Mm-hmm. 
and they should have been doing autopsies on everyone. But yeah, Dr. Malone said that of the people that have been vaccinated, one in 5,000 have a serious problem with the vaccine or death. And, you know, you say, well, one in 5,000, that's not a whole lot. But if you you put it out to a hundred... that, 180 million people that got the shot. That's, that's a lot. When, when we're talking about severe medical issues, one in 5,000 is horrendous. We normally talk about one I in know, hundreds yeah. of thousands. I saw a new statistic that the odds of some sort of myocarditis in people under 30 is like one in 25. Wow. That's crazy. Uh but um, yeah, and of course now they're you know, now they're saying, well, we we've kind of been wrong with all this stuff, but uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Oops, look, we got it yeah, wrong. Look the and, other way, you know, Fauci's retiring. <laughs> two years early now, too. I think he's a little afraid of the Republicans getting into Congress and coming after him. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. But, but who, was, he, who was that, Kevin Fauci? Lord Fauci, he he, oh, yeah. he announced a couple of weeks ago he was going to retire in two years. Now he moved it up to December. He's retiring in December. Here's the thing, though. If Congress wants to go after him, it's not going to matter that he's retired, will it? It's, we should still go after him. Nope. Why would that matter? Highest paid government employee in the country. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is. Single yeah. highest paid person yeah. in our federal government. Yeah. Uh, you know, the very first time he was on stage with Donald Trump and the way Trump looked down at him out of the corner of eye, I knew Trump didn't trust that <laughs> well, guy. It's, it's, no, and he shouldn't trust him. I saw that. I said, man. And then when my, my doctor since 1979, who's a chiropractor and applied kinesiologist and all that other stuff, he told me, don't take the shot. And the very next day, you're on the radio saying, don't take the shot. I said, that's all I need to know. I'm not taking the shot. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He, um, yeah. When you said it, Kevin, that was, I said, all right, that's two people right there that have studied this stuff. I said, oh, that's enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still still happening. Young people are dying in record numbers. And you look at the statistics around the world and people are dying for what they call all cause mortality. That means every single reason somebody could die, suicides, plane crashes, drowning in your bathtub, whatever it might be. That number has gone through the roof around the world and nobody is explaining why. And it's not COVID. We're taking the COVID deaths out of that number. So we're not counting the COVID deaths. We're just just people dying for all reasons, for some reason, has gone through the roof in the last two years. Great. So, all right. Anything else, Steve? That's it for the day, uh, as Paul would say. That's all I've got. All right. That's all I need. We're going to head off to Detroit. Robert, welcome to the program. Oh, yeah. I was calling about the catalyst. Uh, I wanted to let you guys know that I stick it in the Stabil brand bottle. Uh, I don't use it in my semi. I use it in my Harley and lawnmower. And to get down to that five milliliters for a five-gallon can, that Stable bottle has a doser right on it. You can just squeeze it and it'll go right to five milliliters and pour it right in the can. And yep. it works good. 
Is it a bottle or nothing? A lot of people are using that bottle. You know, I was going to mention a bottle like that where they have that funky top on it where you can squeeze out certain amounts and measure right from the bottle. I always thought those were cool. We have it in the one ounce when you squeeze it and puts out one ounce. Yeah, those are kind of neat. I bet they're expensive, though. Eight? How much are those bottles? So the 16-ounce bottle with the, the, the you squeeze it to half ounce or one ounce, they're like five and a quarter each. So yeah, they're not cheap bottles. Yeah, I'm sure. And we actually looked into the gallon bottle that had the same setup. But it was just awkward. Yeah, I'll bet. It, 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 the little bottle's fine. Um, I, I use that for my vehicles. I'll put a half ounce in there, a little less than half ounce, depending on how much fuel I put in the car. But the big one, it just didn't work out well. I wasn't happy with it. Got it. And then I'll store some in a glass, like he said, a glass jar, but baby food. A baby food jar, you can put two ounces in it and carry it around with you in the back of your truck or wherever, and you'll never smell it. You'll never know it. That's a great idea. Yeah, I carry it in the uh, minced garlic jar in my Harley. <laughs> minced garlic, that's a baby food jar gets it in the Harley. That way the Harley don't shake it open. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have an, I don't have an outlet for baby food jars. I'll have to find something for the baby. Bruce, you could use a few more grandkids. Hmm. I've got three. I know. That's, that's enough. <laughs> all right. Anything else, Robert? But that's all I got. All right. Nope, that's, that's all it. we need. Thank Thanks you. for the call. Let's head off to Washington. Jerry, welcome back. Hey, you guys. So I called back in October, and I asked a question, and then you guys had to go to commercial. And then I heard Bruce talking to Pete, and he says, how often do we tell these guys to run these motors only 2,000 miles for braking and change oil? And I thought, okay, I'm an idiot, and uh, Bruce is now mad at me. So, okay, but I'm going to ask another question. And, Bruce, you're not allowed to say anything except the correct answer because I'm just drawing a brain fart, and I can't figure it out for the life of me. So the same motor, big cam 350, I have the OPS on it. We stuck the OPS on and I can't remember for the life of me what it is you guys said to service the motor with for how many miles. When we didn't have the OPS, I did it about every ten to 12,000. But now that I have the OPS on, I'm not sure what the mile range is to service the truck now. So when do you want to know with the OPS when you're going to change the oil? No, I want to know to change the filters. I know the oil doesn't get changed until the oil sample tells me to change it, but, and I still grease it every 10,000 miles, but it's okay. When do I change the filters in it? When would I do that? And so that's my question. Kevin's always said 25,000 on the big cam. You might want to drop that down a little bit, but uh, why don't we look and see what the sample says. You know, the, the first sample I would probably do at 15,000 and the only real difference, the only reason we would go a little earlier on a mechanical engine is we're just going to look for fuel dilution because they're just notorious for fuel dilution. And as long as we're not seeing excessive fuel dilution at 15,000, then I would just go to 25. 
Okay. I just wanted to make sure before I just started changing it. Because, you know, it's like, okay, the reason for the OPS is to save money, you know, and to check your oil samples to see how your motor is turning. But then, you know, it's like, okay, then why would I keep changing the filters at 12,000 if I'm trying to change, if I'm trying to save money and my oil samples are coming back fine? Right. So, right. so that was my so question. You, and uh, you, go ahead. When you rebuilt the 350, did you keep it at 350 or did you set it up? I had to keep it at 350 because it took them uh, almost two and a half months just to rebuild it because they couldn't get the parts. So to get it any higher was just going to wait that much longer for parts. So I called Pete. That's Pete's specialty is finding big cam parts. He's good at it too. Well, I have a big cam 400, and I actually talked to Pete about this two or three months ago. And I talked to Pete and said, "Hey, I've got a big cam 400 that's just sitting that I want to put in another truck or have it as a spare. Do you think I could do it myself?" And Pete said, yeah, other than a couple of tools you might need, he says, we can set you up with everything that you're going to need. And I was like, okay, so I haven't dropped the hammer on that yet because I've been so busy, but that is, I'm going to do that on that big cam four and, and just try and do it myself and then bump up the power on that one. How many kind of boosts does your big, the, does the 350 develop? When I'm running, when, so I get in at about, maybe once every couple of weeks I'll hop in it on a Saturday and pull a load and going up a, not a big hill, but a nice little incline fully loaded at 98,000. I'll be pushing about 17 pounds. Okay. 18 is a 350. So you're down about um, 18 horsepower. Okay, I'll have to look and see why that is then. And, Send us uh, the fuel pump there. and let us reseal and set up the pump for you and, and get that on up to about 22 pounds. And then you, the 350 injector is actually smaller than a 290-300 injector by 10 cc's of fuel. Um, you ought to let us reflow the injectors and set up the pump and make it... Uh, at 350 to a nice 400 for you, and that won't hurt it. Yeah, but the problem is it runs every day, and you're oh. way in Pennsylvania, and I'm way over here in Washington, so that kind of poses a little bit of an issue. I thought you said uh, just jump in it every now and then, so you have a driver. I do, with, this, right? with, yeah, when the driver's <laughs> not doing anything, and... And I feel like hopping in it because I haven't been in it in a while. I'll hop in it on, like, I just drove it last Saturday. Customer called and had to have, they were out of product. So I ran up real quick, and I only ran maybe 100 miles, and that was it, and took them some product real fast. And But that's, yeah, it runs every day. It's getting, um, I drive it at, I have him drive it at 55 miles an hour. It turns about. 16, I think 15, 1600 RPM, and it's averaging right about 6.2 miles to the gallon. What do you have? So, and that's what it's doing right now. 411s in that thing? Did or? you put our dual fuel line kit on it? No, I didn't know anything about a dual fuel line kit or anything for it. it I should probably call head. you guys and ask what I can do it. Yeah. Feeds the front head and feeds the rear head evenly distributes the fuel in the engine and it gains 25 horsepower 
If you've got really? a 13 speed, that's a half a gear. So 25 horsepower, the engine runs smoother, pulls stronger, and you didn't increase the fuel at all. Wow. And I will have to call you and do that. When was the last time you changed the fuel suction line? Uh, when they did the in frame, we did all of that. We changed all okay. the fuel lines and everything when we did the when I did the in frame on it. So did they set I the line of protrusion? Did they set the line of protrusion to seven thousandths? That I couldn't tell you because I, I didn't know much about what was going on back then and wasn't asking too many questions. Other than I took him a new dampener and he looks at me and he goes what's this? And I was like, it's a new dampener. Why do we need this? Because I've had the truck for this many years and it's got this many miles, I'm sure. And it needs a new one. And he goes, we don't usually replace those. And I goes, that's nice, but you're going to replace this one. So here it is. Put this one on. You know? So and the guy was like, oh, okay, man. it's your money. And I was like, yep, you're right. It that's is right. my money. So and it's my engine too. So, that's right. Exactly. So, no. but one, an old friend of mine called me yesterday, and he's driving. Um, he's got some trucks in Idaho, but he had a chance to go do some hauling in Alaska. And he's worked in Alaska on and off for years. But he's driving another guy's truck that has a fleet of Acer cats, and he said, this thing vibrates so bad. He said, send me a damper and balancer to Alaska. So that's going on today. Yeah, it's it's crazy, you know, and just I mean, I don't know. That's like when I sold that gray three eighty nine I had, the guy's looking at it and he goes he goes, What's this shiny thing here? And I was like, Oh, I was supposed to paint that red and he goes, Well what is it? And I goes, That's the dampener and he goes, Why is it silver? And I was like, Well, because it's brand new and he goes, Why'd you replace that? It only had this many miles and I was like, Because you're supposed to do it at five hundred thousand and he goes, Really? And I'm like yeah, you need to listen to this show and listen to this guy here because they're going to tell you to replace a bunch of stuff. But don't worry, it's already been done on this truck. Everything that's supposed to be replaced has already been replaced. That's right. He's like, oh, okay, maybe I need to listen to him, which I don't know if he ever listened to you. I don't have a clue, you know. But, yeah, yeah I, it's funny. I go into shops and go, I need this replaced or this. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Well, because that's what makes everything last longer. And this is the way I'm doing it. Yeah. It's like, okay, no sweat. Yep. So one last thing real quick. Um, uh, Kevin, I will be in your neighborhood on Friday around 1030. Uh, I'm going to load out down there out of Bear Mountain. Oh, well, shoot. You're right. Then I can see Bear Mountain from here. And you're a quarter of a mile from the warehouse. So pull down to the warehouse park and I'll come down and meet you. Okay, sounds good. I will give you a, I'll give him a shot when I get there. Sounds good. Pick up some brain oil while you're there. <laughs> help us. Yeah, I can that's, use some. That's right. <laughs> All right, you guys have a great day. All right, thanks for the call. Good Kevin, stuff. I've been on your website. I can't find that brain oil. Uh, just type in brain. Go When you're on the website, are you on it now? I do it. I just call Angie and tell her what I need. Yeah, Angie will do it. But if you if you're on the site and you want to find it yourself, up in the top right corner, you see the little magnifying glass. Click on that. Type in the word brain. The magnifying glass. It's right next to the word login. Top right corner. Yeah. 
Okay. Now type in brain. What's coming up? Sort by. Maybe I need to log in first. No, you shouldn't have to log in. I'm not logged in. Search works without it. Just go to the magnifying glass and type in brain oil. It comes up. Yeah, brain octane oil. Okay, now I got to come up. There you go. And if you really, really want to help out your brain right under it, you should also, if you typed in the word brain, you should also see ancestral grass-fed beef brain with liver. That's real brain we're eating. You're kidding. Nope. That's real brain. Brain octane oil, $24. Yeah, the brain octane oil is, that's really coconut oil but it what what happens is coconut oil has four different fats in it and they're they're based on the number of bonds so there's there's an there's a fat with six bonds there's one with eight there's one with 10 and there's one with 12 bonds the lower the number of bonds in that fatty acid the faster and easier our body can digest it in fact if it's short enough we don't even have to digest it. It goes straight to our liver and gets converted to energy. That's why we use this. And it, and it converts to ketones, which is really good for our brain. So we looked at, and I say we, um, the industry and practitioners looked at isolating uh, what we call C6, the fat with the lowest number of bonds, and then using that so you'd get quick energy. That was the whole point behind this. The problem is, for some reason, C6 tastes so nasty, nobody can handle it. Nobody will swallow the stuff. It's so bad. Then if you move up to C8, C8 is totally neutral, has no taste whatsoever, and that's what brain octane oil is. It's the isolated C8 from coconut oil. So how do you take this brain oil? Are you putting this in I put tea or coffee or I, anything? I put two Can tablespoons put in, in my, my coffee every drink? I put two tablespoons in my coffee every morning um, with the butter and all the other stuff. So that's excellent in coffee. You could put it in a protein drink if it works. If it you know, it's oily. So if it, if you put it in and you it, you can drink it, that's fine. Um you can make salad dressing with it. You can drizzle it on food. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. But I like it in my coffee every morning. Kevin, a gearhead should never mind anything being oily. That's true. All right. That's that's a good point. Dirt under our fingernails is one thing. Grease and oil underneath, and that's a wonderful thing. There you go. Okay. All right. Anybody? And what's the other one? A cow, cow brain. Cow oh, yeah. brain. What? Yeah. So it's uh, it's brain and liver. So they they um, freeze dry the brain and the liver down to a powder, and then you just take it in a capsule. Um, we used to eat brain. You're not allowed anymore. I I have eaten uh, calves brain one time. Uh, at a restaurant in Boston. Uh, it was really good, too. Really good. Brain used to be a pretty regular thing. Uh, pork brain is still pretty common, and a lot of, um, like, Portuguese, Spanish, or a couple other cultures that it's really common to eat pork brain with scrambled eggs. That's, like, a really common dish. Wow. You know why? 
I, I could never figure out how did we end up with that combination? The pork brain, when you cook it, comes out almost identical to scrambled eggs. The texture of it's very similar. Well, whatever you're doing, that picture of you and Lisa at your son's wedding last weekend, you two look really good. So, well, thank you. Thank you. Working really well for you. All right. Anything anybody wants to close with? I got to wrap this up. I have the uh, I have the pit coming up in about eight minutes. I'm talking about the new vaccine. We we're just talking about the old vaccine. You know, we have a new one coming out in a couple of weeks. You see a picture of Trump riding up on his Harley, coming up behind Joe Biden on his bicycle. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. Biden looks over Trump and just falls over. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just happened to look down, and we have we have calls. I don't know what you know. What we're going to take them real quick. Um, in fact, I think somebody has a warning for me here. We're going to go to Minnesota. John, welcome. Hi, Kevin. You're giving your re- your recipe for the uh, keto coffee. Just make sure Bruce doesn't start with two tablespoons of brain octane off the bat because he could end up with disaster pants, and I know he doesn't want that. Yeah, good point. I'm glad you called. I forgot to warn him about that. We have something called disaster pants, Bruce, that, uh, that brain octane oil can be a little rough when you first start it for some people. It, uh, in other words, a clean job. Yeah, stay close to a bathroom. The first, and you might want to start with like a teaspoon or two the first couple times. Work your way up. I never had a problem with oh, that. Oh, I'm taking MCT oils and coconut oils. Oh, and you'll be fine then. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I don't do the coffee. I'd like to do the coffee, but when I don't drink coffee, the only time I had it was when I was at your house, Kevin, and I really liked it. It was really good, wasn't it? That's a great way to start the yeah, day. I know. We'll have to set you up with a little coffee bar. Yeah, maybe we'll have to fly out there, you and I, and we'll drive on down and look at that Lucent car. There you go. And, uh, and uh, toward, toward the plant there, it's in Silicon Valley, and, and then come back and there you go. fix up with all the coffee. That sounds like fun. The only way I drink coffee now is I got to put chocolate caramel and whipped cream in it, and then I can drink it. <laughs> or butter, well? butter, coconut oil, and cinnamon. It's just even better, and it's just uh, it's yep. just a just a big old energy bomb. Let's grab one more call. We're going to go to Ohio, and Angie, don't screen anymore because I'm going to have to wrap this up and. Uh, roll into the pit, but we're going to talk to Doug in Ohio first. Doug, welcome. Good afternoon, Kevin. I've got a quick question for Bruce and a quick comment. I'm one of the testers for the fuel improver, and I have seen so far a six one hundredths of a mile per gallon increase. While that doesn't sound like a whole lot, when you're starting with a baseline of 8.6, that is significant. Um, I accept that's just a, a rounding error in fuel mileage, no matter how much. I mean, even if we're getting 14 miles to the gallon, it, that an increase that small is a rounding error. We can't. And but, that's, that's why we need multiple I've also, seen, I've also seen other benefits of the fuel mileage improver. 
I do notice that my throttle response does feel crisper. And my regens, and I'm also using the max mileage, my regens have gone from one rolling regen approximately every 5,000 miles to one rolling regen approximately every 10 to 12,000 miles with much shorter duration. Now, you know, I have heard that uh, numerous times that it's less regens. Everyone notices the throttle response, and some people are seeing mileage gain, some are seeing minimal, but they're, they're liking it for the response, the smoothness, and the less regens. And that being said, has Dr. Jane brewed up another batch yet? Because I need to order more. Um. We're actually working on refining what we already have. Britt and Jane are working on that. So as soon as she gets back, uh, I have her calling on some clients in Hawaii right now. And as soon as she gets back, we'll get back on that. All righty. Well, I've still got a pint left at the house and a pint in the truck. So I should be good for another two weeks. Okay. So in right. about a week and a half or so, I'll give you a call. In fact, I'll call Britt right after the show here and tell him to, to make that top priority. All right. Sounds like a plan. We've got to wrap this up now. I've got just a couple minutes to uh, jump into the next show. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow for Destination Health. Uh, I don't have a lot for the pit today. I think Stanford's joining me. I think John wasn't able to make it. So uh, it'll probably either be a short show today or it will be about your calls. So line them up. If you want to talk about politics, now is your chance. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll do it again next week. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.